It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Custard TV podcast. Joining me this week, we have Mo Walker, and it's been a minute, Mo. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing fairly well, trying to stay warm. It's a little bit cool on my side of the Atlantic this morning. Bit nippy. Yeah, a bit nippy. I just like hearing you say English phrases, really. Are we in the run-up to Thanksgiving now, Mo? Am I right in that? Yes, that, that, that'll that be this upcoming Thursday mm. as we're recording this. So have you got plans, Mo? Are you... Well, let me put it to you this way. My wife already has plans for us, so my <laughs> plans have already been booked. That sounds very sinister, honest, Mo. And Sarah's here as well, and she, like me, went out last night... Um, we didn't go out together, but you uh, you posted some interesting pictures of food in our group chat. Yes, I did go on a bit of a sort of um, a sort of restaurant and bar crawl <laughs> around Birmingham. <laughs> I, it was great, but um, yeah, maybe suffering a little bit today. Us older millennials now are a little bit more susceptible, I think. In we we have to be a bit more gentle. Yeah, so this is going to be a rather sleepy podcast, I think, today. Um, Mo's, Mo's bringing the energy. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> the best and the worst on the box. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. This is the Custard TV Podcast. The three of us have come together almost like a tradition now to review the crown, the crown crew, as I call, I'll call us. <laughs> Please don't. Okay. <laughs> Be the first and last time on uh, Disney Plus, um, Murder at the End of the World. On uh, BBC One, we have got uh, Boat Story. And on, um, again, BBC we have Kin, which uh, Mo informs me has been playing in the US for several years, was on AMC Plus and has finally made its way over here. Uh, so we'll talk about all of those. Uh, but Mo, we'll start with you first. What have you been watching? I'm going to pick up the ball from a topic from a couple podcasts ago. You were all talking about the Frasier reboot and <laughs> <laughs> that conversation. And to say that, yes, I, I've indulged in the like the first three episodes of Frasier. I, you know, it's one of those things. Well, 
if there's nothing else that I really want to watch, maybe I will check in on Fraser Crane because I do have a soft <laughs> spot for that character. And my understanding is Lilith returns in subsequent episodes. So I'll check that out. But again, that's not something I would consider like a, a highlight of the year. I now I did also uh, recently check out the first episode of Culprits, which you all have oh, previously yeah. reviewed. Yeah, as well. yeah. And I, I really enjoyed that. I do need to get back to it. Time has been a bit of a thing for me in, in terms of my tele viewing lately, but I've been watching regularly on Amazon plus um, that trio of Gen V, which is a spinoff of the mm. boys and uh, Invincible, the animated series, which finally came back for a second season. I've uh, been watching that habitually. Um, it's the and ironically, it is the the twentieth anniversary of that 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 comic. I've also been watching The Gilded Age, which oh, just yeah. came back. I went to an actual screening of the premiere episode before it transmitted, and they actually humble brag there, Mo. I think I was. <laughs> It was during the Virginia Film Festival, which is an event, an annual event here. And they actually had the director of the first uh, first episode of the second series, who also was the director for the first Downton Abbey movie as well. Uh, that that was a bit of a highlight. But yeah, I, I, I'll stop with the humble bragging now <laughs> and turn it back over to you. <laughs> General thoughts on the Frasier reboot, because I feel like we've all, everyone who's been on the podcast has seen it. Who sort of camp are you in, in terms of, you said you had a fondness for it. You know the 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 reboot though. What what are your thoughts in terms of his 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 son? It was probably the wrong actor for that role. I do appreciate the suggestion about maybe what if it was Fraser discovering he had a secret child or something. For me, that probably would have worked better for that actor. You know, because again, we're we're supposed to assume that that is Fraser and Lilith's son. And given what we've seen on screen of that character, I'm just having problems computing. If anything, it's made me want to regularly rewatch old episodes of Cheers and Frasier. So if anything, I find myself flipping over there and sometimes just putting on an old random episode of Cheers. Uh, a bit like Mo, I guess I've been a bit time poor uh, since we last spoke. But what I've been really enjoying is the new Shakespeare documentary on the Beeb uh, for the 400th anniversary. Um, it's called Shakespeare, Rise of a Genius, which does make him sound like he might be um, a third world dictator. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really good and it adds a lot of colour to his life. Uh, but it does start from a point where, you know, the historians and the talking heads are like, yeah, we don't know a lot about his life. Shout out to the Shakespeare Institute, which is an academic uh, institution that I work with sometimes because of the work I do in Birmingham. And um, Professor Ewan Fernie is one of the talking heads who pops up, really enjoyed it, uh, weirdly, or not weirdly, I don't know, you be the judge, it made me want to go back and watch Upstart Crow again. So mm. I've been watching and really enjoying that. People are very snooty about it, and people are like, well, it's no Blackadder. Yeah, but what is? So I really yeah. enjoy it. I seem to be mainly watching, like, made-for-TV Christmas films now. It's that time of <laughs> You're just giving up on life. It's November. That's where that's where you have to go. Yesterday, I watched one with uh, Terry Hatcher, where she goes to a chalet and starts working there. <laughs> or Christmas at the chalet, you know, imaginative title. Um, but apart from that, I have been trying to catch up with things that I've missed earlier in the year. So I'm currently uh, almost finished this the final season of Barry. That's that's sort of been my 
watch over the last week or so. And also, since my friend's been on it, I've become a bit obsessed with Portrait Artist of the Year on Sky. <laughs> that is a really good show. I love that. That format, I think, really works. Mm. I think I prefer it now to Bake Off. Bake Off's become mm. a bit repetitive. I have semi been keeping up with Bake Off, but I mm. think... Yeah, Bake Off doesn't feel like must-watch TV anymore. And I know that they were trying really hard to resurrect this series because it had gotten too complicated and they'd taken all the charm and the fun out of it. They've not been unsuccessful, but I don't think they've been as successful as they might have liked this time around. I think I've watched the start of the series and then haven't really watched much and then stuck an episode on last week. It's the kind of thing you can dip in and out of. Mm. You don't need to see every episode and that's... For a competition show, that's not what what the broadcaster wants, is it? Agree, yeah. I mean, I've sort of been keeping up with who's sort of, you know, because I think they're up to the semi-finals now. So I've sort of been keeping up with who's in, who's out. Just quickly before we get onto the reviews, Mo, uh, do you want to just talk a little bit about Geek Confidential, where we can find it, uh, your podcast? We actually did record a new episode a few days ago as of this recording. We, we discussed the recent marvel movie the marvels um that should be forthcoming and it's available on all the regular podcatching services we'll, we'll promote it on our um x or twitter twitter account we also have a facebook group so look for that uh forthcoming we we're hoping to record a couple more episodes before the end of the year but we'll see how that happens you know life tends to get in the way of of these things we we just don't have the uh, the commitment and the stamina that <laughs> you know that you you do on the custom tv are you going to be talking uh doctor who soon well we're hoping i definitely know uh my luke and i will he and i will definitely be talking about the, those specials um yeah. definitely looking forward to it i mean that is probably must watch on my thanksgiving weekend <laughs> watch list as I, long I mean, as you that, buy flats you is that well, there will be no choice in that matter. <laughs> was there that really no, to the vows, was it, Mo? We've, we've known each other long enough where she understands that Doctor Who is a must for me, especially one of these holiday episodes. And she knows that I have to set aside time, especially when there were Christmas episodes of Doctor Who on Christmas Day. You know, I've got to have a block of time. But, but to be perfectly honest, any of my partners, they knew that I had to have that set block of time on Christmas Day to watch Doctor Who, and if I wanted to watch the soaps as well, you know, I I needed to have, yeah, 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 EastEnders or Corey, whatever I wanted to watch, you know, I just had to have that block of time, you know, it's my own mental wellness. you got to find out who that body is on the floor on this this Christmas. I hope you've already blocked out that that time. Myself and Luke also did the second episode of our TV Time Machine, where we went back to October 1998. Uh, We discussed Ali G., Richard Bacon's dismissal from Blue Peter, the forgotten BBC crime drama The Cops, which actually was really good, and also the uh, comedy drama Grafters with Robson Green, which you you can miss, you can skip. But yeah, that's there now, and I do put Luke through some more torture, getting to guess one of the charts from uh, from 98, which you can play along with, folks, and see how well you do up against musical genius Luke Knowles. But yeah, you can find all our podcasts, the ones that feature Sarah and the ones that don't. I'd give those a miss, honestly. (laughs) There's a lot more of those, to be fair. (laughs) Um, Going all the way back to 2011. Jesus, we've been going for 12 years now. There's almost about 500 episodes. You can find us on 
you know your podcast app of choice please uh, rate review and subscribe and you can find uh, myself uh matt's tv bites on twitter luke is luke custard tv podcast custard tv pod uh, instagram facebook and uh, custard tv reviews at gmail.com if you would like to be part of the show or the site please get in touch uh, with either myself or luke and without further ado now uh, we jump into the reviews as soon as my notes come up <laughs> everything is just a little bit slow today guys <laughs> yeah. um we are starting uh with the crown which had the audacity guys to start with a luke special <laughs> you know when things are going downhill when you start with the luke special so uh, what they have done this time netflix is the final season of the crown they are splitting uh the series into two blocks uh, we had Block one starts this week and it focuses on uh, the lead up to uh, Princess Diana's death the last two months over uh, four episodes. And that Luke special that I was talking about was the crash uh, that took her life. We start there before flashing back uh, eight weeks earlier to June 1997, where um, herself and William are singing along to Chumbawamba's Tub Thumping, which I'm reliably informed did not come out till the September or October. Uh, but it is a very uh, prophetic song, which I think is why Peter Morgan and team decided to use it here. You know, the I get knocked uh, down, but I get back up again. You know, very subtle, guys. We've basically got two stories here. We have the coming together of uh, Diana and Dodi Fayed, orchestrated here by a Machiavellian Mohammed Al-Fayed, who's completely changed character <laughs> since the last series <laughs> for no apparent reason other than narrative neatness. Diana is uh, being chased by the press. Most of this episode is her basically twatting about on a yacht, basically, I would say. (laughs) It's more or less what happens uh, while there's a boat full of paparazzi harassing her, basically leading up to what some people would say caused her death. Uh, The other story here is uh, Charles, still unconvincingly played by Dominic West. (laughs) (laughs) I would say agree more. Agree more. Um, <laughs> who is still trying to get his uh, mother's approval of his uh, relationship uh, with Camilla? It is Camilla's fiftieth birthday, and Charles is throwing a party. He's desperate for um, both of his parents to attend, but primarily um, his mother, uh, who tells him she'll be in. I want to say Derby. Is that where she was going? Yeah, she was uh, in a Rolls-Royce factory in Derby yes, and, and yeah. couldn't be bothered to change the date of it. <laughs> As you do. And so his only family member who attends is Princess Margaret, who um, observes from afar Leslie Manville doing some very good uh, watching acting, I have to say. And um, at the end of the night calls um, her sister to say, actually, Charles is the most relaxed I've ever seen him. He seems comfortable in this relationship maybe you should give this relationship a chance. So that's sort of what happened in the first episode. It almost functions as a sort of mini-series version of Peter Morgan's film, The Queen, if you will, which focused on the aftermath of uh, Princess Diana's death. Mo, I'll go to you first. I'm here for the end. I definitely... <laughs> we, we well, 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 the truth <laughs> is, we know where this is going. Though I will say... Starting with a normal night in in Paris where a man is walking his dog, 
was an interesting start, you know. But I appreciate that they're continuing the media war between Charles and Diana, and that you know it's kind of ratcheting up at, at this stage where we have Princess Diana. You know, a, a, as you said, Matt, really just playing it up for, for the paparazzi in sort of you know this. I'm going to show the world what he is missing. One of the things that as we get further along in this series is the music choices. And you mentioned Chumbawamba and, and Tub Thumping. And and those types of contemporary songs are played. I always want to immediately think about where was I when that song came out? Or, you know, where was I during this time period in which the scene is set? And I kept doing that several moments, which, which it, it's kind of odd. So it sometimes takes me out of that. But We've had the conversations previously about the casting and how this go around the casting, not from an acting standpoint, in in my opinion. I think, again, in terms of like a a physical representation, I just think, you know, we've had those conversations about, you know, Dominic West is too pretty, you know, to to be playing the role that he's playing. And of of course, you know, the the issues in terms of the height with Elizabeth uh, Debicki. And, And so... Those continue. But again, the bottom story is if if you've been here from the beginning, you're going to be here for the end. You just kind of want to see this new kind of remix or interpretation on the events. You're with it now, aren't you? You know, with the end, the, the end is in sight, guys. We're nearly there. <laughs> it's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just to pick up on that point that Mo made about the music, I wrote a note to myself. Is it because the songs are, are now contemporary for us elder millennials? Has it always been that reliance on pop music? I found it quite intrusive. I don't think so. I mean, Fast Love was the, uh, the only other one that sort of stayed with me in this episode. They just feel very like they are using them as shorthand for how characters are feeling in this, in this episode. I feel as though we started to get the contemporary songs once we got to Princess Diana. Mm, mm. I think you're probably right. Yeah. And I think again because they did and it, and it's a shorthand for how she was connected to the people. Mm. Popular yeah. culture. Exactly, cuz uh, Charlie's going to be into um Wagner's latest banger, isn't he, you know? Yeah, I I think you're right there Mo because I remember that that early scene where she's got the Walkman, hasn't she, or something mm. like that, yeah. And she's wandering around uh, Buckingham Palace. Sarah, you sort of in agreement with some of the uh, the negative points I was making. How are you feeling here? Reluctant, and yet I did a Dawn special. I watched all of them. 
okay <laughs> not all at once no it, it just it did feel more like obligation but i watched the first one for the podcast and then i just wanted something that didn't have to pay a lot of close attention to mm-hmm. and i was just going to stick it on and also i don't know whether it's been reported on in the american press like it has here but this short episode run has been given an absolute kicking in every newspaper I've looked at, on every website I've looked at. And it was a good opener, but also really tawdry that we're already in a tunnel in France. Mm. It was like saying to people, don't worry, she's going to die soon and you'll get to watch it and it'll be great. Don't worry, it's coming, it's coming. It, it just felt a bit kind of unpleasant and unnecessary. Mm. Macabre. Exactly. Uh, which is not what this show has been about up until this point. I thought it was quite interesting watching Charles negotiate his new slash old relationship. Like you were saying, um, Mohammed Al Fayed's character is so different. It felt like the Queen had gone back seven or eight places in her thinking about Charles and Camilla and mm. Diana. You know, her edges had softened. That's the whole point of us watching like five series of this show, you know? She's balancing moving with the times, with being a sort of constant, and it just seemed a bit rubbish. I was like, hang on a minute, what? <laughs> we've, we've literally gone back in time here. The start of the second episode is is pretty interesting. Again, they framed that through the eyes of like not normal people, but like people who were on the peripheries of royalty. And then as we get into Diana's death is covered at the end of episode three. And then suddenly Charles, again, this complete changing character in outlook where he suddenly becomes very emotionally aware talking about how the death should be dealt with um, with his children and very odd very strange didn't expect that as I I think you all know that I um, am firmly of the opinion that when Diana died and there was that massive public outpouring of grief it's really weird to see an event that everyone who was alive then is so familiar with and I think they actually do use some of the news footage of the flowers mm. and the people outside the palace gates. So it's really strange that we've been in this story since the 50s and we're, we are now catching up with ourselves. Yeah, because, you know, obviously, I think all all three of us were teenagers when this happened. So we have got real sort of strong memories of this. Um, and also Peter Morgan, as I said, covered this quite you know, in depth in The Queen, which he wrote. So I don't know how he's sort of going to deviate from that. There's also the the big thing, you know, you mentioned the press savaging it. I read the BBC News website did like a run through of all the, the critical. There was a couple of positives, but mainly negatives. And a lot of them picked out this Diana's ghost thing that well, happened. I, I was, you know, as a widowed person, I was going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm always interested in how they deal, anyone deals with grief on screen. Oh man, it's really bad. (laughs) You'll be pleased to know it's not just Ghost Diana. Ghost Dodie pops up as well. So uh, I think he has a conversation with his father about how he's not as famous as Diana, even in death. It's funny because a lot of the reviewers basically haven't mentioned Ghost Dodie. So what the ghost is saying is true. (laughs) <laughs> it's not like when uh, this is one for Mo when they brought back the ghost of Pat Butcher when Peggy Mitchell died <laughs> nowhere near as classy as that this first episode which is the only one I've watched I found it really dull I don't know if if you guys agree 
the Diana stuff just kept going on and on with not much to say. Like, this is her, this is her life. We get this. The stuff with the Elphiads and Dodie's like, I'm I'm marrying this other woman, but I'm tempted by Diana. You know, we've got this sort of connection. It just felt quite tedious and quite drawn out. The stuff with Charles, I think, was better drawn and, and all the characters' points of view you could understand to an extent even though you know like you said sarah like the queen has sort of gone back into duty and you know it's not right and and all of that as i said i thought leslie manville's performance of her just sort of watching things in the background was one of my favorites of this first lovely bit of face acting there yeah yeah, I mean, she's great at it. You know, anyone who's seen Mum knows how great she is at reacting to things. I think Elizabeth Debicki is fantastic and embodies the magnetic energy, I think, that Diana had. And, you know, she was the people's princess, as they always say. And, you know, her her star, you know, was, was there. And I, I think Debicki gets that and is definitely the highlight of, well, what will be these four episodes. But, yeah, I just found... It felt like it was dragged out this first episode, but Sarah, your sort of summation of the of these four episodes. A middle thumb. Middle thumb. <laughs> middle thumb. Middle thumb. I mean, you... Sorry, it go wasn't on. it wasn't as bad as as people made out, and we've yeah. known for a while, but this isn't serious history. No. This is definitely more soap opera than anything, and so yeah, Ghost Diana isn't actually that out of place, is she? <laughs> I do want to defend the, the this first episode a little bit because okay. I do think that there's a ha- very haunting nature to Elizabeth Debicki's performance, certainly throughout that that first episode. And that I think a lot of that is because we know where her character is going to end up. This is set up. Okay, we're waiting for the emotional payoffs. That scene with the queen and um charles i just think he just picked the wrong time i mean you show up and one of the corgis is is not feeling well you're you're kind of out of luck you're screwed dude (laughs) (laughs) so he just it it was the wrong moment for him to to, uh, ask such a serious question uh from his mother and the leslie manville stuff i mean that was just brilliant i i you know obviously i want more leslie manville and but i do see the symmetry and how, you know, again, this is the final series. We all are connecting things. We're going back to the beginning, you know, and with Princess Margaret's storylines and so forth about her relationships. And it's bringing the thing subtly back to the center, you know, with the next generation. So it's slow, but again, you can kind of see where things are moving in the place for the final run differing views um on the crown but it's on netflix now the the first four and i believe the final six off the top of my head december the 12th but i can't yeah, I think that's right. look at the coming soon on the custard tv it's there we're moving on now to another actress who's portrayed princess diana emma corin um she is the star of a new drama uh, murder at the end of the world it is on Disney Plus over here, and I believe, Mo, we are on FX in the States. Is that right? Yes, that's FX and Hulu. Now, it's created by uh, the team behind um, cult Netflix drama The OA, 
and and as I said, um, stars Emma Corrin. She plays author, hacker, and amateur sleuth Darby. Uh, she is uh, described at one point as the Gen Z Agatha Christie. When we first uh, meet her, she is doing a book signing and a reading of her book, Silver Doe. Uh, it documents her experience of trying to solve uh, the cases of female v- murder victims with her former partner, Bill. We get some flashback scenes. We learn about the complex relationship between Bill and Darby and how their uh, relationship came to an end. Meanwhile, in the present, Darby is invited to a secluded retreat uh, by reclusive tech billionaire Andy Ronson, played by Clive Owen. Uh, Darby's main motivation uh, for going is her admiration for Andy's wife, Lee Anderson, who is the first female coder and someone Darby has admired all her life. Uh, Darby is one of nine uh, guests invited. They don't know where they're going um, until they arrive in Iceland um, at a very sort of what you would describe as a smart hotel. Andy reveals at uh, the dinner on the opening night that he's gathered together all these brainy individuals uh, who all work in tech to find a solution to the world's environmental problems. But as the title would suggest, by the end of the first episode, we hear basically someone being murdered at the end of the world. Basically, we have got a very closed door mystery, very sort of old fashioned in a way, but with uh, modern beats. Um, I will go to Sarah first this time. What did you think of this? It looks and feels like The Shining Girls, uh, but actually it's Knives Out. Mm. <laughs> and I'm waiting uh, for the detective to turn up with that excellent New Orleans accent. I don't think we're getting that. <laughs> That's a shame. Um, as an events organiser, I had a problem with the book reading. <laughs> <laughs> of course you, you did. You don't turn up 30 seconds before you're on stage, people. But then we wouldn't be, like, surprised that she's actually the author. You know, she rocks up with a hoodie and her headphones. little red riding hood outfit. And I I liked the flashbacks, actually. I enjoyed them. And I thought their relationship and um, their performance was very sweet. But I'm surprised that anyone knows all of the lyrics to that Annie Lennox song. I didn't even think Annie Lennox knew it. It's very complicated. (laughs) Everyone can (laughs) sing the chorus. Nobody can sing the verses. (laughs) Especially that bit where she just runs and runs and the the words get faster and faster. Really difficult. I was really freaked out by Andy Robinson and his scary augmented reality invitation. She was too, because she doesn't click that link immediately. So she does her due diligence there. She calls on her Scooby gang to help her. She clicks a link anyway. So she's cautious, she's intelligent, she's smart, she's a hacker as well as as a sleuth. So why on earth would she get on that plane? I just don't understand. (laughs) They're swabbing her mouth, they're taking her phone (laughs) off her. Suddenly, there's a lot of trust here. I just, I didn't quite understand that sort of character dynamic. She's meant to be clever and suspicious and smart and it's just very icky. I think it's it's the tech bro thing generally. Um, And when we get to this beautiful place, which, you know, we're suddenly into sort of Arctic noir territory, like trapped and fortitude, and it looks great. So the wife, Lee, we see her tidying up uh, broken crockery or something and looking quite shifty about it. And then there's several looks between her and her husband that I didn't like at all at this dinner party. 
Um, although, again, Darby's great. She's sitting around that table. Would have given me the worst imposter syndrome possible. Are we allowed to say who the mystery guest is? I don't know. Um, I, I've sort of leaned off of spoilers. What do you think, though? Okay. I think we should just avoid it if, okay. if possible. Fine. Okay. Well, there's a mystery guest that she wasn't expecting, um, which makes her very uncomfortable, almost like uh, she could get quite paranoid because this could be a bit of a setup. And again, we still don't know why she's been invited. She's not saving the world. She's just an investigator, an amateur investigator. Um, although props to her for telling her dad she was going somewhere weird because <laughs> I wouldn't have let any daughter of mine go. But I suppose it was a tantalising invite. And and you're right, you you as soon as they do the, the swab and, and things like that and you're just like, I think maybe it's the intrigue and the amateur sleuth in her maybe a little bit that she's intrigued enough yes, to go. Yes, that's true. And... We, we see her in flashbacks putting herself in uh, a predicament mm. um, that would have been very dangerous or, or turned out to be very dangerous, but we don't get to see the resolution of that. So there's intrigue and mystery in her past and also in what's happening at the moment. And there is the suggestion as well. There's guests that are invited by Andy and guests that are invited by Lee you know he's invited the smartest people in the room and his wife has invited people and he's got no idea why she's invited them and I think the assumption is that Darby is one of the people that that Lee has invited. Yeah I didn't like that dynamic either he is the smart bright intelligent husband who's going to save the world she's inviting artistic types the imbalance is unpleasant. But presumably Darby is going to save the day and be the, the sleuth. And Are you going to be going forward? Has this intrigued you enough to carry on? Or I think so. It, it hasn't made it to the top of the list, but I think mm. it's interesting. I really liked her performance and Bill. I'm interested to see what nefarious Clive Owen does next. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. You know, that opening scene where she rocks up at the the book signing and oh it's her of course it's her we we know she's in it we know she's the star of the show <laughs> um trying to do that misdirect i love the sort of the use of no more i love users sort of their song in a way you know it's it's used twice in there and most shows try and have that song don't they or have like an artist that yeah uh, they go back to i wonder if they use yeah, any more I I wonder if it's their sort of Stranger Things moment, or that's what they're looking for, especially given it's got a big helping of nostalgia with it. And again, it's sort of a heavy-handed sort um, thing of the plot as well. You know, the no more I love yous. Are they in love? You know, there's that line about she was only ever attracted to girls or something like that. And, you know, the, the sort of question mark over the sexuality as well. But yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting way to do that mystery. And as you you sort of alluded to in your Knives Out comparison. I'm assuming it's all these sort of quirky characters, you know, the the woman who's trying to colonise the moon and the <laughs> Joan Chen's character who creates all the smart cities, all very sort of... Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch -ch -chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uniquely drawn individuals, all very different. As you would get, again, like in an Agatha Christie mystery, Mm, you would get all these different characters coming together, sitting around a big table. It's very traditional in that way. But you've got characters now who are all like, as you say, like tech bros, really, more or less. And and a couple of creatives, the film director, Darby, the writer. And in this hotel where you've got like the baths, the sauna, you know, all these different places where possibly people could meet their end maybe the murder is not the last murder that will occur but yeah emma corrin absolutely fantastic really compelling lead performance you really just want to follow her you know she is our eyes and ears the audience proxy and for that i think she is completely great and again some really good reaction acting like like we said about uh, leslie manville in the crown emma corrin you know when she's sitting there listening and not really fitting in as you mentioned again in the imposter syndrome part of the show and I yeah I liked it and Luke's written a quite a positive review of it which may you know obviously he doesn't do that very often um which makes me intrigued to carry on and yeah I I enjoyed it even though I didn't think it really got going until the invite came through to her I struggled to get a handle on it during the flashbacks a little bit. And I would warn people, it is very long, this opening episode. It's well out, well over an hour long. So strap yourselves in, get some snacks, look after yourselves, people. Mo? I will say, uh, Clive Owen, you probably don't re- recall the last thing he was in. He was in American Crime Story. He played uh, Bill Clinton. Oh, God, yeah. So it is a welcome back to a much yeah. more recognizable version of Clive Owen. Uh, Sarah's point about Glass Onion, Knives Out, those references were spot on. I thought about that too, the comparisons between the AI and the puzzle box with the uh, invitation in, in Glass Onion. It, it, I just made these instant comparisons to that. But for me, really, particularly the energy that Emma Corrin's Darby is channeling is the girl with the dragon tattoo, Elizabeth. That's I a good just, point. I really just immediately, as soon as she shows up to give the her reading, she pulls off her uh, hoodie. You know, it was just that vibe. Um, it's the body language, isn't it? It's the, yeah, it's tr- yeah, it's the but it's the body language all throughout. It's it's whether she's hacking, you know, not hacking, but communicating with her quote unquote, as you call the her her Scooby Gang and so forth. It just feels as if you could make some side-by-side comparisons between uh, Elizabeth Salander from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and um, Darby. Though, uh, again, we've got a, a, a whole lot of Agatha Christie all throughout this. Going back to those, to those Knives Out Glass Onion comparisons. But as we go on, I, I will say there's some more soapier elements, I think, that creep in a little bit and and i really don't want to go 
too far into that because I think that that veers into spoiler territory. For me, I understood why Darby instantaneously decided to accept the invitation. One, the groundwork had been laid that she is this curious person. She's willing to go into these unsafe, dangerous situations. But I think she was also just driven by this opportunity to meet Lee. And she states that in the plane. I'm here because I'm interested in Lee more than anything. I'm really curious about what happens once those two characters are in a scene together. It's not Darby getting this cryptic glance, you know, seeing Lee in in her hotel room cleaning up broken glass. It's the two of them in a room together having an actual conversation. I'm really curious about what that entails. I love how well executed the show is. And it's certainly one that I'm, I plan on continuing to watch. Again, like Sarah said, it's not going to necessarily be at the top of my list, but it's something I want to see through. It's different, isn't it? It's got like a unique eye, I think. But they did miss out on the opportunity, really, to play Walking on uh, Broken Glass by Annie Lennox. Um, <laughs> That's my that scene. <laughs> The reason for me why I think it does have a different perspective is that's what you expect from Britt Marling. I mean, if you mm. watch the OA, she comes at things. It's familiar, but there's it's slightly off kilter. There's something different about it. And so I think that's just their perspective. I think we're all intrigued and we're all going to carry on. Um, as I say, Luke has written a review um, of the first couple of episodes. I think it's a bit more spoilery than we've been as well. So be warned if you read that. And it's every week on a Tuesday and on FX in the States. I don't know, Mo, what the release schedule is like over there. Yeah, it's it's the same. Now we're moving on to Boat Story, uh, which I'm reliably informed um, over with you, Mo, will be on Freevee at some point. Uh, Donna on our Facebook group has mentioned this to us. With us, uh, it's on BBC One, and it is one of many shows that is unfortunately all up on the iPlayer now, which I think for like a mystery series is isn't great because... I don't know if you guys agree. It's it. I think we're missing now the time where we used to sort of play what happens next, who are these mm. characters, you know, the theories and things like that. I this felt one ver- felt obvious to me that it would be a weekly drop, mm. especially given um, on the, the iPlayer um, previews that we've got access to, how many Do not embargoes reveal. we had. Yeah. <laughs> There was, there was so many there was like it was like a whole book's worth of, of plot points not to reveal so uh, we have and, to dance around this one quite carefully and it's a skill not to read those and be spoiled yourself i yeah. i think the years of watching previews and knowing that box is next door because sometimes they used the to say cut some you know contact the the pr for a full list of things that you can't spoil i will try not to spoil most of this, but it is all there on iPlayer now. Oh, hold on a moment. Um, it was advertised on, um, I was listening to the radio today and it came <laughs> on as an advert. And one of the points that we're supposed not to talk about was front and centre in the advert. So I'm quite annoyed. Mm, okay. I'm tired and I forgot to be annoyed until that moment, <laughs> but you just reminded me. <laughs> uh, this is uh, created by the Williams brothers um, who gave us uh, The Missing and more recently The Tourist, which 
I would say Boat Story shares quite a lot of comparison with Daisy Haggard and Patterson Joseph are our leads as Janet and Samuel. Uh, they are strangers who first meet while walking. Though I say they're dogs. J- Janet's walking a neighbour's dog. They live in a um, coastal town in Yorkshire, which she describes as a place that makes Peterborough seem like Portugal. Uh, both come across a boat washed up on the shore, two dead bodies, and soon they find several million pounds worth of cocaine. We get an earlier scene as well where we see exactly what happened and, and why this boat has, has washed up. Samuel, who's a former lawyer, convinced right from the offset that they should take the cocaine. Janet is a little bit more reticent, but I don't think she takes that much convincing, really. And as the episode goes on, we learn more about the duo. Samuel and his family have had to sell their home in London after he gambled away his life savings. That's why they've had to move. Although uh, the cat didn't want to come with them until the end, Major Tom the cat. I don't know if uh, that's accurate, Sarah. Uh, I've no experience of moving with unpleasant cats or difficult cats. Meanwhile, uh, Daisy, we learn, has uh, recently got divorced and has lost her relationship with Alan, who is a stepson, but she's basically raised him from birth. Alan is a brilliant character who comes uh, complete with Blue Peter Badge, (laughs) which I quite liked that little detail. Ex-husband has now found a younger partner um, who, as she says, has a hard-on for God. Uh, Brilliant line. We see her in one of the earliest scenes is injured in an industrial accident at work, lost several fingers, but didn't get any compensation, thanks to horrible boss John Henshaw setting up that she was drunk at work uh, when he uh, gave her some whiskey to calm her down. Samuel and Janet getting a storage unit and spending the rest of the day getting to know each other, building up to them, uh, singing the Out Here Brothers at karaoke. Uh, but we also get a lot of other characters who are after these drugs, um, including we've got a trio of thugs led by uh, former EastEnders actor Craig Fairbrass, who shoot up uh, the local police station, killing most of the inhabitants um, and then finding out they're on, on the wrong floor. Um, and we've got uh, the Williams brothers also reunited with Checky Cario. Previously, we remember him as Baptiste. But here he's on the other side of the law playing a very softly spoken tailor who is a criminal overlord, I would say, uh, does a very disgusting thing with someone's tongue earlier in the uh, episode. And the closing scene is him uh, coming to the UK from France to uh, investigate further what happened to the drugs. There's also narration in this. It's it's. Like there's a lot of layers to this, which I quite liked, and I liked this in the tourist as well. Like it's normal characters in extraordinary circumstances, and what's going to happen to them really. Mo, what did you make to this? And uh, have you been a fan of uh, the Williams brothers' work in the past? Yeah, I- I'm familiar w- with 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 their work. Honestly, I when I dove into this, I didn't make the connection until I went back to do a little bit of homework. I thought the narration helped set the tone, kind of elevated things to make this feel like it's a tongue-in-cheek, whimsical, dark, black comedy. I appreciated the uh, title card sequences. 
for the scene transitions. It it kind of helped, but particularly with as you as you said, Matt. There's so many layers to this. I think having a structure, whether it's the narrator, whether it's the title cards, helps with the transition and doesn't make things as jarring and that you can flow it. Cut away from the town of Appleberry to the tailor. It is such a shift. And you know, I, I do appreciate that we, we do circle back to that at the end, that we know that the tailor is on his way. Wondering, you know, is the tailor going to get a direct flight in the Appleberry or does he have to like fly to a larger airport and then take a train or a car or something? But that that's <laughs> but but I, I wasn't I that bothered that about really his travel schedule if I'm this man. Time... <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's clear, you know, that he, he wants to get there as quickly as possible. I love the fact how much time that was was spent focused on building up Janet and Samuel's relationship. You know, we, we get enough information prior to the characters meeting, or in the case of Samuel, you know, literally you know, as they're they're connecting on the beach. I think that that you see that between uh, Daisy Haggard and, and and Patterson Joseph, it, it kind of veers into we're just two people just caught up in this weird crime spree. We're we're just trying to deal with this moral quandary. Versus, is there some sort of sexual tension? I don't know, but like certainly by the end of the episode, I'm really getting this sort of sexual tension vibe but it could be they're in such a heightened situation mm -hmm. that's what's causing this so I, i'm curious to kind of see what happens between them i am kind of curious um you know how they're going to kind of interweave join scanlon's character pat to mm -hmm. t-o-o-h um <laughs> into this it more certainly you know as that on i know they're going to obviously circle back to this just given the number of layers, how far down is this character um, in terms of priority? The tourist had something similar, I think, in terms of that really sort of vast cast of characters. I mean, that was set in rural Australia. Here we're in sort of small town uh, UK. Reading a bit of the press pack, apparently Joe Scanlon's character is the most innocent character in it. So I'll be interested to see how she slots in uh, to the rest of it. I mean, you could compare this to sort of Coen Brothers-esque, the level of sort of humour or Tarantino. I mean, the Chucky Cario Taylor character is very Christoph Waltz in Inglourious Bastards, very softly spoken. But then, you know, it's bound to bouts of extreme violence there's some greatly observed dialogue in this, though, and, and it's a very British show. You know, Daisy Haggard has some great one-liners. The bit that got me the most is where the three uh, guys go into the police station armed with guns and balaclavas, and the guy at the desk is just doing the Sudoku. <laughs> and that is the one of the most British things. And also the we've got this Chinese menu where you can get a 20% off voucher. There's loads of little details and that is what I appreciated about this. You know, you've got this big concept. What would you do if you found the, these drugs? You know, would you put yourself in that boat? There you go. Where would I be? Would I be calling the police straight away to tell them about the bodies? Or would I put them all in the car and hope that the policeman who stops me 
uh, for going on a, a one-way street doesn't notice all the drugs in the back of the car. Um, I love this. I was really into the tourist. I think it's great to see Daisy Haggard flex her dramatic muscles a little bit more. I know Sarah and myself and you were really big Back to Life fans mm. and that had dramatic edges to it as well as the comedy. But this is her playing almost like a very tragic figure. There was that great extended sequence at the fun fair as well with the shooting range and, and things like that. And Patterson Joseph as well, who is very much a journeyman actor and someone who has done both comedy and drama as well. And I think it's a great mixture of these two actors who you wouldn't put together, but somehow work. And, you know, the the cast is so vast, even the smaller roles, you know, John Henshaw pops up as the boss early on. Craig Kelly from Queer as Folk plays the ex-husband. We've got Jonas Armstrong as well. There's just so many really good British character actors in this cast. And the dialogue is well observed. I think the the violence they've tried to make a little bit more extreme. I don't find it that overbearing. You know, that scene in the, in the police station was possibly the most violent. Um, <laughs> But um, no, overall, very positive on this, uh, Sarah. I thought to myself, this is setting its stall out early. This is quirky with a capital quir. Fortunately, I quite like quirky, but I could see how this could be a little bit off-putting. Um, immediately, the title cards and the all-knowing voiceover uh, put me in mind of Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events, which is essentially this, <laughs> this is the grown-up version of that. There you go, put that on the poster, guys. <laughs> exactly. Um, and again, I can see how the blood-soaked Tarantino levels of violence might put people off too. But like you say, I think they've balanced it out really nicely with all the other elements that are there. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yeah, I really liked it. I'm such a big fan of Daisy Haggard that I really want this to do well. Um, but as we mentioned at the top of this, it's a worry that we can't chat about it, speculate, have those water cooler moments that still exist. Oh, my friends watched two and a half episodes and I've only watched one. You can't really have that natural flow of conversation about it, which is a real shame. My, my comment in summation that I wrote when I actually watched it was, I have little to no idea about what's going on, but I like it. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I did wonder if actually being a, a very posh French tailor is not what it used to be um, <laughs> and that being a drug lord is actually his side hustle because everybody needs a side hustle in this economy. <laughs> <laughs> it is a classic story. Two people down on their look and absolutely stuck and they don't know what their future is going to look like. Everything that they had been assured of has slipped away. And what do you do if this happens you know you're desperate and then this sort of opportunity lands itself in your lap what do you do so I think yeah it's quite a classic story but the the twists and the spin on it are really interesting and like you say the little comedy moments the little details just balance out the blood and gore really nicely I should have 
dropped the, the line, that line of dialogue at, from the fair, you know, don't kiss it or it turns into a 22 stone fuckhead. <laughs> yeah. Morris Walker. <laughs> I mean, if they haven't sold you on it by the time you get to that line, then goodness mm. me. Because, you know, there's Tarantino elements, there's Cohen-esque elements, like No Country for Old Man is obvi- the obvious comparison because of the the found loot. Um, but also the narration and the title cards was very Wes Anderson as well. So yeah. <laughs> like this, yeah. this odd yeah. mixture it's, it's of... full-on quirky. And if, you, if you're not a fan of that, possibly, I don't, don't know if you should steer clear, but give it a go because, you know... I, I'm very intrigued. You know, I loved The Tourist and I hope this is up there with it as well. As we said, unfortunately, it is all up there now on uh, iPlayer. And I would point you towards uh, Dawn's review. I would assume she's probably watched all of it <laughs> as well. And now we journey to our last um, show, also all on the iPlayer. Sarah is very going to kindly uh, set this one up for us. This is uh, Irish crime drama kin this is about a big family two big families many big families of dublin gangsters and they all kind of look the same and now i'm going to have to navigate what they were all called so thanks matt why did i say yes i don't don't know know. (laughs) (laughs) this family is the kinsellers we meet them on the day that son michael is finally out of prison um and there's a bit of tension as he comes back into the family home uh the family seem happy to see him apart perhaps his sister-in-law Amanda his brothers are Jimmy who is the older one with the big beard and um, Eric who is the crazy one that's how I've managed to record them all these crime families have got problems with drug dealers encroaching on their areas Eamon Cunningham is the big man played by Kieran Hines they're selling his products but they're negotiating territory with him and with rivals who he also supplies the casting is great. I was really excited to see Aidan Gillen because he's brilliant in everything. So he's the Kinsella's patriarch, Frank. Trying to figure out how all these people relate to each other doesn't help, but it seems that the majority of the family all live on one street as well. Mm. Wayward youngster Eric is apparently the only one who doesn't live close by. He looks most like a Viking. I wrote that down. <laughs> and he, he's the one who's a bit hot-headed, goes off on a, on a bit of a raid because he's been annoyed by drug dealers coming into their area. He's not allowed to do anything about it. He's spoken to his family about it, um, but he um, pops out and does a bit of a drive-by. Feels disrespected, <laughs> doesn't he? Exactly, yeah. Michael has decided that he wants to go straight, which the family are not appreciative of, uh, because he wants access to his teenage daughter, I wrote down that he seemed to be, in the first episode anyway, the only family member with any sort of passion. He is absolutely seething furious that maybe being in his daughter's life might not be good for her. Amanda is Michael's wife, and they've got a lazy teenager at home called Jamie. Um, She's trying to keep him from going into the family business, and she wants him to expand his horizons. Rather amusingly, he decides that he might go into law. Could be quite useful at home then we've got some quite grim torture scenes with a hot iron seems to be a um a thread running running through the things we've watched torture torture and drugs in these last two exactly 
I think where it gets going is in the final few minutes. And maybe I didn't do it justice by not sticking around for the second episode. I only realised today that the BBC are showing them two episodes together. And I mm. think that maybe I've done it a bit of a disservice just watching the first one. This won many awards and many plaudits and people really liked it uh, when it was on RTE in Ireland a couple of years ago. And I think they may be filming season three now or there's certainly two series available mm. to watch if you can. But it didn't do it for me. This episode certainly was very subdued and very restrained. Even the characters look similar. It's dark. Everything mm. is modern, stripped back decor, the way they dress as well. It's all very same, same. Although I am obsessed with the dark floral wallpaper in the <laughs> bar slash gaming room slash snake room. Everybody, every gangster needs a snake room. And the director, I mean, I don't, I've never done film studies. I don't really know what I'm talking about. But even I noticed that the director bloody loves a Dutch angle. Everything was a little bit, skew whiff everything mm. was a little bit strange especially the camera angles outdoors but yeah I feel like maybe I needed to watch a second episode even though I wasn't in love with the first one because maybe this was more sort of scene setting um, because this does seem to be mega popular I had a quick look on socials because it was on last night as we record on a Sunday and people really loved it but I didn't so What's wrong with me? <laughs> Obviously, the natural follow-up after Strictly Come Dancing is Kin. Of course. <laughs> Strictly Come Dancing, Survivor, and then Kin, which no one is talking about, the British version of Survivor. I've actually no. seen no discourse on that. Big Brother coming back, I can see people talking about that. But Survivor's just, you know, and it's, it's Saturday night when people will be watching, but... Mo, had you watched this? You know, you, you obviously alluded to the fact before we started recording that you were aware of this, that it had been on a, a AMC um, a couple of years ago now. And the second season, I believe, said over there as well. Um, had you watched anything of this? Were you interested in this prior to um, me asking you to watch this for the podcast? I was aware of it, but I hadn't watched it. The only reason I, I can say I, I was aware of it is because Michael's played by Charlie Cox, who's Daredevil. That's my frame of reference for this. And honestly, to be quite frank, because of such a large cast of characters, as Sarah says, that they all look similar, I mm -hmm. had to refer to their previous roles in order to keep them straight. <laughs> so obviously Michael's Daredevil Jimmy, who is married to Amanda, is played by Emmett Scanlon. He was Lobo on the series Krypton. So that was easy for me. You know, he was also on The Fall, if you watch The Fall. On The Fall, yeah. Of course, you know, you have Littlefinger basically mm. running things. Um, <laughs> and his partner, Bridget, is played by uh, Mary Doyle Kennedy from Orphan Black. So, so for me, just having that, that was my... That was my no, this is the ultimate sort of geek confidential reunion show, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That helped me just keep straight the relationships. But, you know, it, it feels like a, a classic mob story. You know, you've got encroachment from an outside force and a, a young and up and comer. You've got Eric, who literally in some of the material that I was I was looking at about this had referred to his his nickname is Viking. And it's clear as day, you know, he lives up to his name. I do appreciate the first instance where he, he pulls up, jumps out of his car, proceeds to try to beat up this rival group. 
they literally kick him on his ass. And then he goes home, <laughs> gets his gun, and then that's where we get the drive-by sequence. There was a bit of comedy in that, plus in the latter part of the episode, we get a bit of comedy with this character when the police show up at his home to let him know that, you know, there's a credible threat against his life. But once you you figured out who the players were, that there was going to be some sort of twist at the end, there was going to be some sort of tragedy that sort of ignites this powder keg. So airing this probably as a double bill probably makes sense because there is so much lead up in this first those first 50 minutes that if you really want things to get moving, you've got to go on to the second episode. So I'm I'm intrigued by this just because of how things ended. You know, I want to know, you know, how how dark does Michael, you know, go? You know, obviously he's not going to be beating up people with a billy club or anything in this. <laughs> but I, I, I'm curious to see where he goes. Because there's clearly some sort of backstory between uh, Michael and Amanda. Mm. Um, I love a bit of soap, so I'm kind of curious about that. And also, there was you know, plenty of soap when he was washing them cars as well, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Obviously, you know, just to kind of see where things go with Michael's daughter as well. I will say it's intriguing, but it's obviously it's not a high priority for me. No, you know, I found this just not a slog, but nothing I hadn't really seen before. I would say to Mo, where's the respect for Kieran Hines? You know, another ex Game of Thrones actor. Did you place him in your in your mind palace anywhere? No, no, because I was only trying to place that family in my oh, mind okay. palace. Okay. Was, that was that was the issue. You know, Kieran Hines is over here. I don't need to worry about trying to figure <laughs> out, you know, his relationship. Family, I just know the that family he's the is too big for your mind palace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would also um, say I remember that Aizen Gillen and Maria Dor Kennedy, I believe, were the parents in Sing Street as well, which I know isn't one of your sort of fortes, Mo. But I loved her character, Maria Dor Kennedy. She was probably my favourite when she was um, handing out the the picky bits early on. It's like it's not a proper party unless you got the Vullivans. Um <laughs> But I, I just found it rather predictable, you know, the, the retaliation between the gangs, the sort of sexual tension between brother and brother's wife. I worked out who would be the victim at the end of the episode. I think that was telegraphed early on, you know, as opposed to the sort of beginning and end of Boat Story where you get quite a clever twist. Here, I felt this character isn't going to make it to the end of the episode and they didn't as we've all said it's hard to keep up with who all, all the male members of this family are they're all very interchangeable they're all very gruff irishmen you know who are this crime family and do not like to be disrespected i'm not quite sure you know mo asked a question again why the bbc have taken so long to show this i know it's one of the irish dramas that they've acquired uh, like we talked about North Sea Connection, I want to say that was called earlier in the year, which actually does have a sort of affinity with Boat Story in a way. That was another uh, smuggling drugs uh, gangster type situation. But no, just odd that this has come over so late, odd that it is airing on a Saturday night. I think even if you like your gangster stuff, maybe it's like something to sort of fill some time, but... There was nothing new about this. It felt just very generic. Maybe if you went on, then, you know, you might get something out of it. As it's been acclaimed and as it is now on its 
filming its third season, there must oh, be. Oh, I just looked it up. The third series is done, and they're working. They're, a fourth has already been commissioned. Oh, there you so go. You somebody see. really loves it. Somebody Quite loves a lot it. of somebody's. I mean, check it out for yourself. It may be one of those ones you have to binge to get the full sort of appreciation of it. But for me personally, I just never really got into it in the way that possibly I should have done it. Being immersed in these characters, I just wasn't. Um, But that is there all on the iPlayer now, or as Sarah said, double bills on a Saturday night on BBC One. And that is us done for another week. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Sarah and Mo for joining me today. Do you want to go through where we can find you on the interweb? I'll start with Sarah. I am still on Twitter. I'm still calling it Twitter. Um, And I am at Sarah Hamsterer. If you want to read some stuff that I've written about TV, um, I am on winenow.co.uk. So you can find me also on Twitter X at Dr. Mo 77. Uh, You can also find me on Blue Sky at Dr. Mo 77 as well. You know, I'm just mucking about, you know. Master Don. No, no, no. no, I'm keeping it simple. I'm keeping it simple this time. (laughs) That's where you can find Mo. And as I said before, you can find us at at Luke Custard TV, at Matt's TV Bites, at Custard TV Pod. Instagram, it's the Custard TV. Facebook, Custard TV. And email, Custard TV Reviews at gmail.com. Next week, as uh, we alluded to earlier, we will be talking uh, Doctor Who as well as uh, Cary Grant's biopic drama um, Archie starring Jason Isaacs. Uh, But until then, thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. I think that it's programs like this that help people realise that they're not alone. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes and Facebook. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.